Welcome to Circling the Bases. I'm Connor Rogers alongside NBC Sports DJ Short and Yahoo Scott Pianowski. We have shortstops today, guys. This is a it's been a crazy offseason for this position group. This was really the storyline uh, in free agency around baseball. We know the young talent with this group, so a lot to get through. Of course, we will conclude with your rankings, your top 12. But getting into such a pivotal position, DJ, I'll start with you. Just a big storyline or something that's caught your eye during this offseason for the shortstop position around baseball. Yeah, there's been some changes and not necessarily. I mean, we see Trey Turner, obviously, you know, a huge contract there uh, with the Phillies at the top. Um, and then big money going around with Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa signing three times this offseason, a record three times. Uh, <laughs> and then landing back where he started. And then, of course, Dansby Swanson. So so a lot of familiar faces uh, in new places, all basically with an argument to be top 12 fantasy shortstop. So it's pretty fascinating. Scott, what about you? What kind of sticks out with this group, such a pivotal group that we're going to go through today? Yeah, it's the deepest position of the four infield positions. It may be the deepest position of all the offensive positions. Yeah. And it's a really young position, okay? Some of the free agents are in the middle of their careers, but a lot of the players we're talking about are sending talents. These are going to be MVP candidates. These are going to be guys who haven't had their best season yet. So yeah. I think in leagues where you take multiple players in the middle infield, you're probably going to want two shortstops. And if your league, the, the standard Yahoo fantasy baseball setup has two utility spots, you could have a team with three or four shortstops. That's how deep yeah. this position is right now. In fact, you mentioned Carlos Correa. Just to give an idea how deep this position is, I don't have him in my top 12. And I think Carlos Correa is a yeah. great player. He just got three huge contracts. I think Yahoo almost signed him one one time, but you know, he didn't pass the physical. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, there's a lot to get to here because there's a lot of production here. It's, and it used to be when I first started playing fantasy, you know, shortstops couldn't hit. You know, there was yeah. this defensive position and and then all changed with Derek Jeter and Nomar Garcia Parra and Alex Rodriguez. And, and now it's it's really the candy land for fantasy. Absolutely. And that's what makes this group a lot of fun is I think the strategy behind it, which I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys, where you differ, obviously where you align with opinions. Uh, a reminder before we jump right into it, every season is draft season. Get your Roto World draft guide, bundle and dominate your football, baseball and basketball drafts packed with profiles, rankings, projections. Order today and get all three Roto World draft guides for the price of two plus promo code bundle five and save an extra five dollars at checkout. Guys, you both kind of briefly mentioned this at the top. The guys that have changed teams or the guys that, for some of them, both of this, have signed massive, massive contract. Really the buzz, the hot stove buzz and news with this position group. Three huge ones off the top. Xander Bogarts, of course, the 11-year, $280 million deal with the Padres. Dansby Swanson signs a seven-year, $177 million deal with the Cubs. There was a lot of questions uh, would he return to the Braves? Like it feels like so many Braves free agents tend to do so. He moves on and goes to Chicago. And the one you brought up, Carlos Correa, who just traveled everywhere, signed with the Giants, it fell through, signed with the Mets, it fell through, ultimately ends up back with the Minnesota Twins on a significantly lower than original deal with the other two teams. That's six years, $200 million guaranteed. So DJ, starting with Xander and just working your way down, how is this group affected in fantasy with the new landing spots of these three players? So I'm going to talk a bit about Xander Bogarts later. I'm not going to spoil it. But uh, I think moving from Boston to San Diego is a bit of a downturn for him uh, fantasy-wise, which might you know sound outside the box because he's going to a loaded top four in that lineup in San Diego. But I'm certainly worried about the ballpark change. I'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, Swanson, you know, he moves from a lineup that was great with the Braves 
to one with the Cubs that I think is a little bit underrated. And I do think he's still going to have the volume at the top of the lineup. So maybe not as much uh, as a negative for him as maybe you would think. And uh, with Correa, um, I actually think he would have been better off signing with the Mets. Um, yeah. Had he gone to the Mets, I, I think I would have him in my top 12 because I think that lineup would have been so much deeper, so much more complete. The Twins lineup is fine, uh, but I think fantasy-wise, that's where he would have wanted to be. If they don't. I mean, obviously, he doesn't care about our fantasy teams, but uh, I think that would have been the far better landing spot for him. And, you know, we should mention, again, Trey Turner and the deal that he signed. I think he's going to a great ballpark for offense. I think it'll be better when Bryce Harper's back, but uh, I think – Basically, there is a kind of a lateral move fantasy-wise. I think he's as safe as it gets as an early-round pick. Scott, would it have been the same for you with Correa? Obviously, first the Giants, but then the Mets, the idea of him batting maybe in between or around Lindor, Alonzo, guys like McNeil. And then he ends up back where we just saw him for a year in Minnesota where he was fine, but is the upside a little bit more limited as he goes back to the Twins? Yeah, location, location, location. It's a huge part of fantasy. Both DJ was mentioning some ballpark changes for players. And the first thing we want to look at, other than a player's own value on his own, isolated, is who is he batting around? Where is he batting in a lineup? What is the ethos of this lineup? Is it a team that looks to smother you with home runs? Is it a team that's open to stolen bases? Stuff like that. And, of course, Correa, the, the big thing with Correa since he came up with the Astros, because he was seen as like a future MVP candidate, he's largely not been a, a player in MVP balloting because he hasn't stayed healthy for a lot of games. So I, I think when you – and one of the reasons I don't have Correa in my top 12 is because I think he's 130 games is where you have to land on a projection for him most of the time. So I, I would have certainly liked him more in the Mets. I know DJ has to mention that too because he's a card-carrying member of Mets Nation. Uh, you know, uh, but by the way, best broadcast booth in, in baseball, right? Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling can't do better than those guys. I can't wait to watch Pete Alonso hit another 45 home runs and all that. But just what the Mets need, another good baseball player, right? I share his uh, DJ's concern about Xander Bogart. So I'll, I'll check my allegiances at the door. I'm a Red Sox fan. Fenway Park, everybody talks about the monster and all that. It's a runs park. There's no foul territory. It's a really good batting eye. And Xander Bogarts is going to miss that. As San Diego, is, it's become a more fair park in recent years. It used to be Death Valley for offense because of some park changes and maybe even some things outside the stadium. The ball has traveled better there. So it's not, it used to be a, a killer for offense. It isn't quite that anymore. But when you combine the different park and also just the pressure, a lot of times guys go to a new city, they have to uproot their lives, uproot their families. Kids have new schools and all that. We, we saw last year with Marcus Simeon, right? A monster year in Toronto. He goes to Texas and for about six weeks, he couldn't hit. Now, I can't tell you that was tied to the pressure or the, the the moving or whatever the new situation, but it sure seems like that happens a lot. Yeah. Xander Borgart's a great baseball player. I'm not going to touch him in fantasy this year. Manny Machado's first year in San Diego is the same way. Francisco Lindor's first year with the Mets. Yeah. I mean, these things do happen. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens often enough to say, hey, you know, maybe that's a factor. You brought up the Red Sox, and Trevor Story is another news uh, noteworthy player that we have to discuss with the, you know, how it impacts the shortstop market as a whole in fantasy with him having the procedure on the elbow, most likely a pretty significant injury on how it'll impact his season. For you guys, what is the trickle effect of the story injury going into spring training. You go ahead, Scott. You're the Red Sox fan here. Well, right now, it looks like he and Enrique Hernandez, Kiki Hernandez is their shortstop. Here's the thing with injuries, okay? 
I don't, I'm not an injury optimist. I do not draft. Injuries are going to find you. This is maybe more of a fantasy football strategy where injuries are a kill shot, right? Once, once a guy gets hurt, you may be talking about half of his season being underwater, but I'm concerned that story won't be healthy for the balance of the season. And they're trying, look at the guys they're trying to talk themselves into. You know, they have Yashid is going to bat lead off for them. Probably Justin Turner was a guy they signed. Who's certainly on the back nine of his career. He may be on the 16th or 17th hole for all we know. So usually Red Sox, you know, Fenway Park, a very safe place to park your money because the park, the lineup goes seven, eight deep with Story gone or compromised with Bogarts gone for good. Uh, they did obviously they signed Devers to the extension, which was nice to see them actually make a commitment to a player they haven't done in such a long time, it feels like. But this is not a destination offense for me. And with Trevor Story already being hurt and me just, it's no fun playing fantasy sports like an actuary. But I think with injuries, you have to. I'm not going to draft Trevor Story unless you're giving him to me for like for free, like like pick 270 or something like that, and I can stash him on an IL spot. I, it's no fun taking a guy who was a first or second round pick for most of his fantasy career and just say I'm not going to draft him. But that's where I'm at with Trevor Story. So Story had the internal brace procedure on his elbow, which is basically the alternative to Tommy John surgery. I think the early word was that he was going to miss four to six months, something like that. So maybe we see him in August, but. But you're right, Scott. I don't think there's any reason to draft Story because, yeah, you can stash him on an aisle spot in late March or early April, but you're inevitably going to need that spot. So it's better off to not give yourself that headache and maybe have to drop someone who could be usable in those first four months of the season. So to me, he's a non-factor. Uh, the Red Sox did recently acquire Adalberto Mondesi uh, right. from the Royals, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and speaking of injuries, Mondesi cannot stay healthy. We know that. He's appeared in just 50 games over the past two seasons. And even when he is on the field, he's a bit of an enigma, an erratic approach at the plate, but he can run. When he's on the field, he runs like a maniac. 133 stolen bases and 358 major league games. And we have these rule changes this year, which are going to benefit uh, speedsters. Um, which is exciting, but Mondesi, of course, is coming off an ACL tear. ACL tear might not be ready for opening day. I don't know how much you can bank on him, but if he's going in the mid to late rounds of fantasy drafts, this is one year where you should be like, you know what? Maybe, maybe he puts it together. I think that could be appealing, possibly. Yeah, I like I like that you brought up Mondesi because he illustrates the importance in fantasy to see the gap between real life value and fantasy value. He may be somebody who has an OPS plus under 100. He's basically a, a less than average offensive player. But if he's going to steal a lot, and we see this a lot, if the Red Sox are a 75, 78, 80 win team, if they're just kind of a mediocre team that's not contending, sometimes those teams just say YOLO with the stolen bases. Say, look, run whatever you want. What do we care? We need to sell something. We need to have something yeah. exciting. So I, I, I could see that. And also, I just want to mention as a, as a period on the story thing, we've all made, we've all strained on the story puns for years. I'm a fan of 90s alternative rock. So maybe it's here's where the story ends. Okay. <laughs> I can respect that. <laughs> well, well done, Scott. All right. Two more names here. I know you guys discussed both of them in the second base episode. If you missed that, just make sure you subscribe to Circling the Bases feed so you never miss any of these previews. But Gavin Lux on the Dodgers, Vaughn Grissom, of course, on the Braves could be making that move to shortstop this year. How does that affect this class, this group, and really where do they stack up or where do they fall into this? To me, I, I mentioned Von Grissom as a fade for me. Um, surface numbers last year and the limited time he was up were actually pretty good, but his average exit velocity, max exit velocity were shockingly low. 
So I'm wondering about the power upside with Grissom over a full season. And I mentioned this in the second base episode as well. Arm strength, not a positive for Grissom. So making that move over to shortstop, what if he struggles defensively? What if he's in a bit of a funk offensively? Do the Braves look in another direction? So for me, not a top 12 fantasy second baseman, not in that top 12 mix at shortstop. So more of a middle infielder for me. And with the hype that he's getting, probably not going to be on any of my teams this year. Right. And I'll pick it up with Gavin Lux. You love sometimes prospects can be expensive because they're buzzy and they're the shiny new toy. And what do we want to do? We want to maybe jump in in the post hype part of their careers. And that's where Gavin Lux is at. He's finally got going to have a full time job. He's finally going to bat in some decent lineup real estate. I know the Dodgers generally have a decent lineup, but you don't want your guys batting eighth or ninth in fantasy. Right now, he's probably going to be somewhere in the middle of that lineup. And he's going to come to the park every day knowing he's playing. He's going to play against lefties. He's going to play against righties. He's not get jerked in and out of the lineup. And I think a lot of times we see players and, and they finally get that full-time gig and they start to play better. And we talk about, oh, well, they're improving or they've they've worked on this, they've worked on that. I think just going to the park every day and knowing that you're going to be in the lineup is a huge part of it. So Gavin Lux is a target for me and, and picking up some extra position eligibility is certainly a feather in his fantasy cap sure. as well. Let's get into a little buying fading here compared to draft position, compared to ADP, where guys are coming off the boards. doesn't mean that these two guys are out on these players or anything like that, just compared to where they're drafted. And DJ, we'll start with you uh, on the fading route. Who's somebody, and I think you kind of hinted at this one earlier, but who are you fading in the shortstop group this year? So that would be Xander Bogarts. Uh, I look at the early ADP on him right now, 87.97 on NFC. Uh, Of course, signed that huge deal with the Padres. Had a really good year last year and has been consistent offensively. He's at 301 over the last five seasons. Production very steady. But that home road split in his career really stands out to me. We're not talking about a player that's leaving Coors Field behind where I think that's a little more complicated. It's not quite black and white. But for Bogarts, 312 batting average in his career, 872 OPS at Fenway Park. Away, it's 271, 758. So I, I think we just have to adjust our expectations a little bit. It's not like he's going to be bad or anything like that. But when you look at the numbers that he puts up, he, he's only stolen uh, double-digit bases, I think, once. He hasn't stolen double-digit bases since 2017. That's what it is. And he's only hit 30 home runs once. So he's not someone who stands out in these counting stat ter- uh, categories. And now that he goes to a ballpark where I expect his numbers to go down a little bit, he's even less appealing for me. Scott, what about you? Anybody you're out on? And what do you think of the Xander take, of course? Yeah, I think the Xander take is right. And you mentioned he wasn't a big stolen base guy anyway, and now he's in the second half of his career when a lot of times players decide (laughs) stolen bases aren't worth the wear and tear. There's so much power up and down the San Diego lineup that they're going to try to score in the modern way, which is you know just get on base and somebody slugs one over the fence. So uh, you, you might get five stolen bases out of him. And, you know, again, when you talk about with the, we talked earlier about the contract and it just let him get acclimated to the National League and, and to the new park and all that stuff. I think he's an easy fade a little bit further down the line. And we're talking about a guy who signed a big contract and did nothing. Javier Baez was just a lot of swing and miss with his game. And I think pitchers just gotten to the point where it's like, why throw him a good pitch? Because he'll sw- you can roll it up to the plate. And, and DJ knows this, seeing him watch play for a little bit for his Mets a couple of years ago. But we usually get excited about Baez because we think, well, he's going to hit 20, 25 home runs. He's going to steal 15 or 20 bases. And generally, if you get that from a player, it doesn't matter what their average is. And, and remember, in the last few years, where his averages has come down league-wide, hitting 240 or 245 or 235, that used to be a kill shot for fantasy. It isn't anymore. 
but I'm worried that Baez could hit 207 or 198. Yeah. I, and you, granted, Detroit's going to play him. They're going to give him a good a lineup spot, but you know, Detroit may have one of the five worst offenses in baseball. I'm just afraid that there are holes in this guy's swing that the whole league has the book on him, and I, I'm not encouraged. I, I just I was burned by Baez last year. Not that I had him on all my teams, but I had him on enough teams to make an impact. If he has a comeback season this year, I'll tip my cap, but it won't be on my dime. You know, one name I wanted to mention, Scott, and I'm not saying he's necessarily a fade, but I'm wondering after the playoff run that Jeremy Pena had, if there's some recency bias that he's poised to take that next step forward. I'm not quite ready to say it yet, but his ADP is higher than Carlos Correa right now. It's higher than Ahmed Rosario. Is is that someone you should jump on? Yeah, it's a great point about recency bias, which is a, a huge thing. And with fantasy, we have to be mindful of in the case of Pena, it was he was World Series MVP, and he played much better in the postseason than he did in the regular season. He's also he's not like twenty one or twenty two. I mean, he's in his mid twenties now, so he's kind yeah. of a finished product. I think it might be a what you see is what you get for Pena, and he might bat. We we know the Houston lineup goes deep, but he's not batting first or six a second. He might bat sixth or seventh in this Houston lineup. So I don't think he's like crazy. Like oh my god, you can't draft Pena under any circumstances. But I yeah. would wa- I would let the market come to me on Pena. If his ADP yeah. is going to be static where it is, I'm probably out. If I can get a round or two discount, I'll be open minded to drafting him. But I think you make a great point because we're all human beings, right? We all, we all it's all what did we see last? Well, we saw Houston in a dog pile on the mound, and Jeremy Pena was the most valuable player. I think that means yeah. he'll probably be a little bit overvalued in draft season. On the more optimistic side, DJ. A couple of players that you're buying in on compared to their draft position right now. So Fernando Tatis Jr. is number one for me. I've actually been trying to trade for him in every dynasty league that I'm in, but my league mates are a little too smart uh, because I think right now we're forgetting how good this guy is. Even coming off, yes, the fractured wrist, the PED suspension, that shoulder surgery. The last time we saw Tatis, he led the National League in home runs. And that was playing through a compromised shoulder. I mean, certainly his reputation has taken a hit, but he's one of the most talented players in the game. He's only going to miss the first 20 games this season as he finishes out that PED suspension. So that's basically like a stint on the injured list. And then you have a top five fantasy player from that day forward. To me, I'm not letting him fall past maybe late first round or early second round. That's how aggressive I want to be on him this year. Yeah, 19.75 ADP uh, for Tatis right now. Scott, are you as optimistic on Tatis when he returns? I think I'm neutral to Tatis. I think his ADP is fair for me. Okay. But um, I don't know. The shoulder makes me maybe a little bit more nervous than DJ does. But still, I mean, we know what Tatis' upside is. He could be the number one. He could be on your magazine next year. That's that's how good he is, the cover. So uh, the, the guy I'm targeting a little bit, Further down the ADP list is Willie Adamas, who I think is the most underrated shortstop in baseball. He's been a different player since he went to Milwaukee. And I don't know if part of it is the park. I don't know if part of it is he fixed an eye problem, that uh, a vision problem he was having. But his slugging percentage has gone up by about 60 points. And last year, 31 home runs, 98 RBIs, and he misses about 25 games of the season. So, I mean, those numbers would have been a little bit more. Maybe it's just how our eye changes. If he docks in 111 runs and hits like 35 home runs, maybe people treat him differently. And I don't think he's a batting average drain. His career average is around 255. So I think you're going to get exquisite power from him, exquisite run production, and you might even get a plus average. And he's still at an age, you know, age 27 season. I I don't know whether we've seen his best yet. Milwaukee is a good place for home runs. So again, 
sometimes the changes we, we don't it's not obvious stuff it's not, not like every major media outlet wants to talk about willie adamas's eyesight but he's fixed the, he's corrected a, a problem he had it's improved his plate recognition his slugging percentage is a lot higher in milwaukee and i think it's come with with a lot less fanfare the brewers haven't been as interesting the last few years as Kristen yelich is you know, hitting into another ground ball a uh, double play as we as we taped this podcast but um he's not Willie Thomas is not going to be the MVP. Again, he's not going to be on the cover of your magazine next year, but I think he's going to outkick his ADP by like three or four rounds. I totally agree with you. He's on my list as well. What you love about Adamas is he puts the ball in the air and he plays half of his games in one of the most uh, hitter-friendly ballparks in sports. So I'm all in on Adamas too. Another name I wanted to mention is Corey Seager. Now you look at his first season in Texas, hit 245, which is just not what Corey Seager does. And despite that batting average last year, he hit the ball extremely hard. His XBA was at 283, which is basically right in line with his career average. And he was really hurt by the shift last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike Petriello of MLB.com, a friend of the show here, recently estimated that Seager lost 20 hits uh, compared to if the shift restrictions were in place already, uh, like they're going to be this year in 2023. So I, th- I expect that batting average to come back to where it usually is and for those lovely counting stats to be there as well. Probably more RBIs, probably more runs scored as a result of not losing as many hits as he did last year. So I'm in on Seager. His ADP right now is 67.14 on NFC. So if you miss out on those top that top wave of shortstops, I think you should feel pretty good about Seager. Love the Seager call. Second year after a big contract. So he's he's got everything figured out in Texas about how his life is rooted and we know one of the big stories of the year is, you know, how are these new rules going to change things? When people say to me, who's going to benefit the most from the shift, the first name I think of is Corey Seager. Yep. All right. Before we get to each of your top 12s, let's talk about a couple of late round flyers, really up and coming younger players. C.J. Abrams on the Nationals, Ezekiel Tovar on the Rockies, Oswald Praza for the Yankees. DJ, any of those three stick out to you that you throw a dart on? So I would go well, I would go on Tovar there with the Rockies. Uh, made his way to the majors late last season. It was just nine games, but uh, he's expected to be the opening day shortstop this year for, for the Rockies, and they really like him a lot. And, and the thing about Tovar that I'm encouraged by is his defense is great. So even if he's struggling offensively, you know, going through those ups and downs, the Rockies plan to stick with him. Um, they did that with Troy Tulowitzki too when he first came up. They believed in the defense enough that they let him work through those initial struggles. I do think we're going to see that with Tovar, but he has some exciting power speed potential at 14 homers, 17 steals over 71 games between double A and triple A last year. Uh, like I said, I think the defense helps. And then fantasy wise, the thing you love obviously is course field. That's backing him should boost him a little bit. Uh, as far as counting stats are concerned, maybe he's someone you use when the Rockies are mostly playing at home, at least from the start there. But I think he could surprise in mixed leagues and be possibly a top 100 player this season. Yeah, I'll agree with that take. He's probably going to steal 10 to 15 bases too. Colorado, even though their park may scream out, don't run, they've generally been open to stolen bases. The thing I do worry about, he may bat eighth or ninth for the majority of the season. That's also a problem with Peraza. Now with Abrams, he just looks so – Abrams is the guy I actually think could benefit from maybe a little bit more time in AAA, but Washington has such a scant roster right now that he's probably going to not only start the season with the team, but he may hit first or second. 
But I'm just afraid this is a, t- a bottom five. In fact, I think this is the worst team in the National League and a team I'm going to avoid for fantasy purposes. Now, look, at, at the end of a draft, you're just looking at plausible upside. We talk about post-type sleepers, which Abrams has some of that post-type lean to him. So I, I don't mind if he's one of your final picks, but yeah. I'm certainly not going to acquire him proactively because you, you're just you're buying into, the I think, the worst team in the National League. Yeah, I think with Abrams, uh, in the time he was up at the Nationals last year, 50 strikeouts against just five walks. So uh, you'd like to see a bit more patience. But he did make elite contact down the stretch, like over the over the final month of the season. Uh, kind of showed a little bit more of his potential, why people were so excited about him. He's also very good defensively. Uh, the sprint speed is basically elite. It was in the 92nd percentile uh, last season. So I can see him being useful in more of a deeper league. Uh, shallow leagues, probably not so much. Uh, with Peraza, he's another one of those players, very skilled defensively. Uh, I think that gives him a shot to carve out a role there with the Yankees. I know they're going to have a shortstop competition in camp. Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa uh, really underwhelmed last season. So Peraza has a chance to be a decent sleeper. The ballpark, some pop and speed. So that plays in his favor. I will issue a challenge to all of our listeners right now. I dare you, on your own, this is honor system, name four players in this Washington lineup. If you can do that, you're going to dominate fantasy baseball in 2023. Three more here, guys, that are more maybe stash options or guys to keep an eye on throughout the year. But, Scott, starting with you, which one you're the most optimistic about? Anthony Volpe from the Yankees, as we talked about the Yankees infield before. Ellie De La Cruz, a lot of Reds fans have been hyped about that name. And, of course, Royce Lewis from the Twins. Any of those three do you think can come up and make a fantasy impact at some point during this season? Yeah, De La Cruz, I think, has the highest upside. So yeah. that's I'm, I'm just swinging for the fences with that type of stuff. Cincinnati probably won't be a contending team. We often talk about their ballpark, which is just Disneyland. It's just it's such a great place to hit. So. I don't know how they're going to play it if, if maybe he gets six weeks in, two months in, but I, the ceiling is he, he's going to be a star in, in like two years. I, I you're going to next year we may end up having like a three minute segment on him. <laughs> uh, I I think I think you're right. I think De La Cruz has the biggest the highest ceiling here, uh, but enough swing and miss in his game that I wouldn't be su- surprised to have to see the Reds have him in AAA for you know most of the season, uh, perhaps, and we don't see a lot of him. I think we will see Volpe relatively soon. Uh, I see Peraza more as a stopgap, and actually Peraza might stick it short and Volpe could play somewhere else. Uh, But I think he's going to force his way up uh, at some point this season. And, you know, just with the ballpark and lineup potential there, I I think he's a potential star as well and someone who could be relevant this year and useful uh, even in shallow mixed leagues. All right, a reminder, download the Roto World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. Guys, this is what everybody's been waiting for. Actual rankings. We've gotten through takes. We've gotten through new landing spots, young players, dart throws, but actual rankings. We will do the top 12, working our way down. We'll start through 12 through 6. DJ, who do you have in your 12 to 6 spot and maybe a player that you want to touch on or kind of a one-liner for each guy? Sure. So number 12, I have Tim Anderson. Uh, missed a lot of time with injury last year. Had a torn ligament in his hand, but the numbers were good when he was healthy and his strikeout rate was was down really low, 15.7%. I was 21.6% in 2021, 22.6% in 2020. So uh, I think that's a good sign for him moving forward. I have Dansby Swanson at number 11, making that move to Chicago. 
I still think he's going to get a lot of volume in that Cubs lineup. I think they have big expectations for him. I'm not sure where the power upside is at this point. I think he's pretty much is what he is, and maybe 2022 is his peak, but I think that's just fine. Tommy Edmond, I have number 10. Uh, I do wonder about where he's going to hit. Uh, Scott and I have been over that. In recent days, we've heard maybe Lars Newtbar, Brendan Donovan will be at the top of the Cardinals lineup. So that hurts Edmund a little bit, but the speed, I think, stands out enough for me. Wander Franco, I have number nine. Can we just remember for a second, he's turning 22 years old in March. So anybody who's written him off is making a huge mistake. I, I think he could challenge for a batting title as soon as this season. He's that good. Willie Adamas, I have number eight. We've already... Uh, given a lot of praise on Adamus, I love the power in the ballpark there. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, I have number seven, Mr. Statcast Darling. Uh, you know, this, the potential is through the roof for him. It's just a matter of how much contact he can make if he can hit left-handed pitching. I think those are some unanswered questions, but I have him at number seven. Corey Seager, I already went over why I like him so much. I have him at number six. Francisco Lindor, number five, I think just across the board, very, very solid. Not running as much these days. The sprint speed was down last year, but uh, still really solid. Bobby Witt Jr., I have number four. Uh, I think he has some work to do play discipline-wise, but will be number two in that Royals lineup. Gives it pop and speed. Uh, he actually was the fastest player in the game last season. I think we could see him steal maybe 40 bases this year. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., I have number three. Bo Bichette, I have at number two. Uh, was disappointing for a large stretch of last season, but really salvaged things down the stretch. I see him as a five-category upside type of guy, which is why I have him at number two. And number one, Trey Turner. I think he could be a number one pick in a lot of leagues. He really is that safe. Scott, what about you starting at 12? And then we'll kind of get into a couple different areas where you guys differ. You know, I feel a little bit old because when you say Bichette, Witt, and Tatis, I saw all of their dads play. <laughs> I, pro I probably drafted all of them, and I, I wondered this was the year Bobby Witt could stop walking 155 guys. But um, So I'm feeling my age a little bit there. But I, uh, Wander Franco, I have him at 12, but, man, I, I, I may move him up. I, he was hurt most of last year. He has an injury excuse. And as DJ said, he came to the league at a young age, and you know, Tampa Bay is so often right with the way they construct their team. I, I just think he is a special talent and could hit maybe 335, 340. Tim Anderson, 11. The entire Chicago lineup was hurt last year. A lot of things went wrong. Maybe Tony LaRusso was the wrong guy in the pilot's chair. I'd like to buy back on that team. And Tim Anderson is always going to be a good power and speed source. I have Corey Seager, 10, and Xander Bogarts, 9. Although, if I were to do that list again, I might probably flip-flop them. We talked about some of the reasons we like Seager. He's going to benefit from the shift rules. And maybe Bogarts is a guy to be a little bit shy on this year. Willie Adamas at 8. The power has been different in Milwaukee. He's fixed his vision problem. I think you're going to get, in, in casual leagues, you're going to get such a discount on this guy. I want you to have a star by his name. O'Neill Cruz is maybe more of a highlight guy right now and a stat cast darling and everything. There are holes in this game. He, he's yeah. kind of an odd physical fit for shortstop. He's the, the biggest shortstop we've ever seen. I wonder if he sticks to the position long term. But still, there's going to be category juice here. And certainly, he's going to hit near the top of what's a weak Pittsburgh lineup. So he'll be, a, I think, maybe more fun than he will be a great fantasy player. But I still have to rank him seven for his big upside. Dansby Swanson hit free agency at the right time. Is he the player he showed last year, or do we have to go, you know, three-year average, four-year rolling average, something like that? That's a question we have to figure out. He also has to deal with just changing teams, which can be a little bit nervous in that first season. But I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than DJ. Have him at six. 
Tatis at five for me, which means I probably won't get him, and that scares me because, again, his upside is he could tear the league up. But just a little bit nervous about the shoulder. He's my five hmm. guy. Bobby Witt is at four for me. Some people will draft him as early as the second shortstop, and I get it because of the power-speed combination. It's just a matter of how quickly does he cut down on the, the strikeouts. Another guy who came into the league at a really tender age, so th- that shows that he's probably a, a future multi-time all-star and maybe like a 30% chance to be a Hall of Famer when you break into the majors that quickly and you're that good. Bo Bichette had a bad year, and it was still a really good fantasy year. Toronto's yeah. lineup is loaded. The dimensions are going to be more favorable this year. You want Bo Bichette. And if you want Trey Turner, no problem. Just make sure you have the first or second pick in your draft because mm-hmm. everybody else in the room won't be allowed to take him. A, a lateral move, as DJ said, from L.A. to Philadelphia, even without Bryce Harper for half the season, that Phillies lineup is loaded. And, and Trey Turner, the best slider in baseball, right? Is anybody <laughs> as elegant as Trey Turner just, you know, sl- swooping into a base and then standing up and then kind of like, you know, sashaying home to, to, to high-five his teammates? But um, the, my number one overall player, and I think a lot of people probably agree with that. I've tried that slide actually on a slip and slide with my kids and that it's not as pretty. I'll just say no, that. No, that'll cost you a hamstring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you guys had the same players in your top five. The only difference was Scott, you had Lindor at three uh, and Tatis at five. DJ, you just flipped that. You had Tatis at three and Lindor at five. So not much of a difference yeah. there. I think the one notable difference people listening or watching might catch is in the 12 to six where DJ, you had Tommy Edmond. Um, at 10. So Scott, I'll ask you, Edmund did not make your top 12. Uh, I wouldn't ask you, is there concerns there, but what ultimately led to Edmund not making the cut here? I'm just not convinced he'll bat lead off all season. I think the Cardinals are a smart organization and they have some really good, OB, really safe OBP players who might bat first or second. And now Edmund did mm-hmm. keep that spot last year. And as DJ and I have talked about, he's, Edmund is such a great defender. There's no concern about him keeping his job in the lineup. And he's such a high percentage base stealer. I don't think they're going to shut that down either. But if he if, he's, if he goes, goes from first to second to eighth or ninth, we're talking about this going to cost you 100 at-bats over the course of a season. And I yeah. and you know, the Cardinals have a good lineup. It's not it maybe a loaded lineup. I'm just afraid Edmund's going to bat eighth or ninth at some point this year. Yeah, and I think what's uh, what's interesting about these rankings, like it's, it's cool to see, you know, someone's top 12, but context also matters. So like, let's say you were lucky enough to pick Trey Turner first. Do you really need Tommy Edmond on your roster at that point? Not necessarily because you've already taken care of a good uh, bit of your speed need there. So, you know, these things could change over the course of a draft and it's all what you, what you need at that particular moment uh, when the player comes up and when it's your turn. So these things can change. I'll mention one other thing. Uh, We didn't have, the the most copacetic rankings on Dansby Swanson. I liked him more than you did, but yeah, last year, not only did Swanson hit two seventy seven, which is well above his career average, but he steals eighteen bases. He's caught seven mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. That's on the borderline of if it's really worth it to keep keep running or not. He's going yeah. to a new team. Swanson's a guy where if you told me he stole eighteen bases again, I'd believe it. If you told me he stole four or five. I'd believe it also. And that yeah. could be the difference. You know, 10, 12 stolen bases could be the difference in being, being shortstop like five or six and in a deep position, shortstop 11 or 12. Again, we we didn't rank Carlos Correa. We didn't rank Jeremy Pena. It's a very deep position. And uh, yeah. Swanson, how you feel about Swanson's stolen base potential? Also a guy who, for most of his Atlanta career, he's like a 17, 15, 18 home run guy. He, he jacks it up to 27 and 25 the last two years. Has Dan Swanson gotten better? 
or was he maybe a little bit more fortunate this year, uh, last year, and then this year there's a little bit of a correction coming on? These are questions you have to ask yourself as you work on your own shortstop board. So, yeah, I think Swanson's fascinating because when you look at the sprint speed, he was 79th percentile last year. So he is fast. Like, how much of this is a matter of, like, I want to run this season? You know what I mean? Like, he had never stolen more than 10 bases in a season before uh, until last year. So it is an open question uh, how much, how aggressive the Cubs will be. Maybe it changes with the new stolen new uh, rules, which will benefit base dealers. Maybe he's a little bit safer in that way. I do think that he sold out a bit for power over the past couple of seasons, which is why we've seen that strikeout rate go up. I, I think you can bake on him being a 20 to 25 homer guy, uh, but the speed I'm really not sure about. Uh, so I think that's the reason I, I bumped him down a little bit. But, you know, this position is deep enough where you're, you're splitting hairs at a certain point. So mm-hmm. it's certainly not a... You know, it's not a, a slight on him. And when you mention stolen bases, a lot of times it's the will over the yeah. skill at stolen bases, whether a player wants to steal the bases or an organization. That's why, like, when teams change managers, you're always asking yourself, is this going to be a team that runs? And a lot yeah. of times it's the teams that aren't contending who say, you know, maybe the Royals, maybe they're a 65 or 70 win team. It's like, you know what, Bobby Wood Jr., run, you steal 50 bases. We saw that with Mondesi when he was there. And I think that may be the case in Boston, so long as he can stay on the field. Maybe they say, look, you, you want to steal 45 bases? Go ahead. You know, I, on that stolen base topic as well, you know, I want to bounce back to Bo Bichette. So in 2021, he was 25 for 26 in stolen base attempts. Last year, he was 13 for 21. So, I mean, you're getting into the point where it's like teams start to, to give you the red light there. I mean, if you're going to be thrown out that often, he may not run as much this season. So that's something to factor into it. And with Bichette, it was, it's kind of crazy. He hit over his final 42 games last season, 386, seven home runs, 29 RBIs, eight steals, 28 runs scored. That's almost like a third of his production in one month's time to basically salvage his season uh, can he be more consistent? I think possibly. And we also have to remember the Blue Jays changed their dimensions uh, this offseason in their ballpark. So that gives me just a little bit extra hope for Bichette and Vlad Jr. and guys like that. I also love that Bichette's entering an age 25 season. We have not seen his best season. He's going to be, yeah, I think, an I MVP, think so. a top three MVP guy at some point. It could be this year. You can say this. That's why the, the Blue Jays are such an exciting team because we know with these legacy guys like Guerrero and, and Bichette, we know they're great already, but they're going to have better seasons down the road. What if they have them together? You know, maybe Toronto wins the American League East. That's going to be a really fun team. You're going to want to have the Blue Jays on one of your screens for much of the season. All right, everyone, that wraps up another position preview on Circling the Bases. I'm Connor Rogers alongside DJ Short, Scott Pianowski. Subscribe to the feed so you don't miss any of the other positional previews, and we will talk to you real soon.